When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. This episode of the Bird Shop Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. This episode of the show, we're talking setters and partridge hunting in part one of a conversation with Jeremy Moore. Thanks for tuning in to episode number 231. All right, welcome to another episode of the Bird Shop Podcast. Thank you for joining us, everybody. We'll bring Jeremy into the conversation momentarily, but first we'll thank Patreon patrons of the Bird Shop Podcast. Hopefully you all enjoyed the little snippet from the Patreon bonus episode last week. I'll be recording another bonus episode with Nick Adair very soon. That means I'll be digging through another hunting clip that we'll share and talk about on that episode. Those bonus episodes are one of the benefits that Patreon patrons get access to in addition to being eligible for Patreon giveaways and the Bird Shop Podcast can coolers and stickers that we send as a little thank you as well. You can learn more and sign up at patreon.com forward slash birdshot. All right, I've got a couple brief announcements for all of you out there listening. In a couple weeks, I will be headed out to Pine Ridge Grouse Camp for another round of gun fittings with Dell Whitman. We primarily set this up for customers of Upland Gun Company, but at the time of this recording, there are one, maybe two spots left available. And at this point, those would be open to anybody interested in making a trip to Pine Ridge Grouse Camp and doing a fitting with Dell Whitman. You can reach out to me for more information on said gun fittings. However, your best bet is to go directly to UplandGunCompany.com, look for the blog post on gun fitting, and follow the steps there to get signed up for one of those remaining spots. The dates on that are August 7th through the 11th, and we'll be finalizing the scheduling of the individual fittings. So if you have availability during that week and are interested, once again, go to UplandGunCompany.com, look for the blog post on gun fitting. 
All right, got to mention this from our friends at Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. They are once again running the Habitat and Harmony membership campaign in partnership with Trampled by Turtles, a band that I imagine many folks are familiar with. If not, you should definitely check them out. They are an American bluegrass-influenced folk band from right here in Duluth, Minnesota. And lead singer Dave Simonette has ventured into the world of upland hunting. He's been on some other hunting podcasts, Meat Eater, On the Wing with Bob St. Pierre. Worth checking out for sure, but had to mention that here. If you sign up or renew for Pheasants Forever or Quail Forever during the Habitat and Harmony campaign, you will get... A very cool Trampled by Pheasants or Trampled by Quail t-shirt. So go check that out. Check out Trampled by Turtles. Good road trip and music for the upcoming hunting season. And once again, got to support the hometown team. The boys from Duluth, Minnesota, Trampled by Turtles. You can find that at pheasantsforever.org forward slash trampled. Or quailforever.org forward slash trampled. Whichever one you prefer. Or like me, renew both your memberships and get the Trampled by Pheasants and Trampled by Quail t-shirt. They're both really cool. All right, this is the last podcast in July, which means we may as well start the countdown. We're going to be under a month to go for some major hunting seasons opening up here. We're going to have some good conversations coming your way. Probably make sense some prairie bird preview and hunt conversations. And we'll be out in the field behind a dog very, very soon. But for now, we're going to revisit a recent conversation that we had with Jeremy Moore, primarily known for training his Labrador retrievers. But if you follow him and his work, you'll know that he has entered the world of pointing dogs with his first English setter. And with our first conversation on labs and flushing dogs in the rear view, I wanted to bring Jeremy back on to talk a little bit more about grouse hunting in general and his English setter from Northwoods Bird Dogs. And we're going to do that over a two-part conversation. Today you're going to hear part one, which is primarily some conversation on grouse hunting and shotguns. And towards the end of our show today, we will tee up the English setter conversation to dive a little bit deeper in part two, which you'll hear next week. So with that said, we're going to jump right into part one and welcome into the conversation and back to the Bird Shop Podcast, Jeremy Moore. Welcome back to the show, Jeremy. It hasn't been too long since we last spoke. No, no, it hasn't. Thank you for having me back, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It was it was great to have you on initially, and and listeners got to know you a little bit. We're gonna we're gonna kind of get right to business today. But anything anything new uh, since we since we last chatted? I, I mean, hunting season is a month closer. That's that's always yeah. a bonus. Yeah, it is, and uh, you know we can get the dogs in the woods a little bit now, so that's always yeah. nice. It's a little it's been a little hot for me, but. Um, and just where we're at with our training, I'm not quite, quite putting her in the woods yet, but we'll talk about that. But, um, no, every, you know, you get these milestones in the summer. So July 15th is one where now we can go in the woods again. So, um, we're getting close. Yeah, that is a nice, nice milestone to hit. We know we're inching closer and closer. It's, it's like you say, it's kind of, uh, around here, like in this part of the world, do you really want to go out and, right. and yes, I do want to get on wild birds, but the woods are, the woods are not the most fun place to be. And even if you, you know, it's, it's not like out West where you could maybe go early in the morning and, sure. and, and run through some stuff and hit some cooler temps. But here we just got all the thick cover and bugs and stuff, but uh, we'll be out there. I, I haven't, I haven't run, run the dogs yet um, in the woods to find any birds, but I've been hearing, hearing good stuff. So uh, yeah, and I'm looking forward to it. I was talking with a couple of buddies, like for me, it's, you know, it'll be nice to try to try to find some birds probably, but not some, it's not even just that. It's just the idea of I can get back out in the woods. Like I, yeah. I, I can go on snowmobile trails that I'm pretty sure aren't going to find any birds, but at least I can run them on it and, you know, get, yep. 
get that type of exercise going again. I've been swimming the dogs an awful lot. I'm sure I, I really am. I'm really big on the idea of that. So I've been in swimming an awful lot this summer and I'm making a point of, of doing more of that. So, but, I, but to run them, I think they need that as well. Is the setter swimming? Yeah. Like a fish. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> she, she's an otter, man. Um, she swims really well. She retrieves really well in the water. She probably retrieves better on the water than she does on land. Okay. Um, but I, I think the train, the retrieving on the water is helping the retrieving on the land actually. And I've seen that before with some of my labs too, but yeah, she's, she swims. She's super competitive. She, she can't be second. Um, you know, she, she's, she's an, and I, the muscle I see put on through the swimming, I think is greater than any other way, uh, that I have found, you know, I'm not big on roading. Uh, I know a lot of people do, and yep. I understand some of the benefits of it, but, um, I'm not real big on it. I think this combination of swimming, um, and, and adding more swimming into it for me has been, I think really beneficial. I see her just toning up. Um, yeah. but you, you think about what she's doing, she's working every muscle and look at the yeah. impact, you know, real low impact, keeping her cool. So I think there's a ton of benefit to it. Yep. I would agree. Uh, to use a real serious word, do you have a protocol or, or a way that you approach getting the dogs that swimming work? Is it just throwing bumpers and having no, I kayak. No, no, I don't, I don't do it retrieving. Well, I mean, we retrieve in the water more for fun. Um, okay. the swimming that I'm doing with them is more like aerobic, um, in that I, I kayak. Okay. Um, so I'll like, I'll go distances with them. So I take them up. We've, we've got a cabin on a lake and then my parents live on a lake and not far from there. And so we, I have different paths that I'll take and, and I'll have them swim behind the boat. And sometimes I go fast, uh, for short stretches. Sometimes I slow down and I kind of let them kind of pace themselves down a bit, but so I vary some of the speeds. I vary some of the distances. I vary some of the time that it takes to do it. And, um, I'm not a, I'm not a, sports dog scientist by any means but like yeah, i'm yeah. i'm looking at it and going well i know people run fast and sprint a little while and then they kind of you know run long distances and pace themselves so i'm kind of replicating some of that stuff but doing it mm -hmm. on the water um and i'm telling you i've it, not just with her but like with my labs too I'm, I'm seeing some really nice body changes with them so to me it's the safest way um pretty effective yeah no, i like it i my dogs get in the water a good bit when we go to our cabin around here. I, I mean, I've got, I, I have access to water, but a lot of it is, uh, you know, Lake Superior that that's cold. Sure. Not that the, not that the dogs mind too much, but I don't have like the, the sort of kayak canoe setup where I would sure. actually paddle around and have them follow me. I've never really, never really tried that. Um, but my dogs do, they love the water and I try to get them in there as much as possible, but never tried the actual, swimming thing which i which is interesting do you is there any is it kind of just a pack pack mentality you just kind of like expose the dogs to that and they just all of a sudden start following and they figure that out pretty quick i'm guessing yeah i think it you know for water introduction yeah and i've got like i've got these two puppies right now my puppies don't do it um i've got two pups that are about five months old and they don't they're i'm not they're not swimming that kind i mean they're swimming but yeah. they're not swimming the distance with me. We're just making some fun retrieves. But of those two puppies, I've got one that's really not quite comfortable swimming yet. She's just she's just a little behind in everything as far as development, and so she's not she's just as happy to sit on the shore and watch, um, it, which is strange. It's probably the and so this week I took them um, and I walk them um, 
by my place here and there's a quarry down the road with it, which has big water and they have a, a ditch. They pump, they pump water out and they fill this ditch with water and it's not quite deep enough that the dogs have to swim. And so I was with my son and we were walking our dogs here uh, earlier this week. And that one puppy that's hesitant to go into the water and swim became pretty bold in that water. She didn't have to swim in it, but it was right to the point where she would have to swim. And because they were playing and having fun and chasing each other, that's where that pack mentality, I think, has loosened up her mind a bit. So now I'll go back up north this weekend and um, I'll be curious to see when is the point where she's just going to go. And and it'll come. It's just mm-hmm. with her, it's taking it's taking a little longer. It took the other one longer probably than I thought it would too. But all of a sudden one day it's just she went, you know, she saw a tennis ball out in the water and she went and there was no, no turning back from that point. So in that, that little puppy swims, you know, you see these puppies kind of swim funny. A lot of times they, they can't quite get leveled out and they're, they're yeah. kind of breaking water. These, these, this, this one that I have and Makina as well, never swam like that. Boy, they level right up and they're just, they're torpedoes in the water. So yeah. some, I think, some, I think it is more natural to them, but yeah, the pack mentality for me is in a situation like that to get her over the edge. Yeah. yeah. I love it. All this, all this talk about swimming, it's going to be hot today. I think, I think my it's head perfect, is <laughs> yeah, perfect <laughs> yeah. couple of days. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I may be at the cabin this weekend too, and we've got a, I got a kayak there and a little paddleboard too. So I'm, I'm quite certain I could, I could convince Hartley to the older setter to follow me. Uh, we'll have to see. I've never tried that with Rose, but that'd be a good idea. We yeah. can do some laps up and down the shore. Yeah, it'd be, you know, I start out short and I, I kind of wanted to get comfortable with it myself because I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, but, but I have, you know, I've seen these dogs swim and I think they, they can swim an awful long ways um, yeah. pretty safely. But, you know, you're always, I'm always pretty close to shore. And if something would come yep. up, I think the dogs tell you when it's, you know, when it's enough. And, um, there, there's not many things that they, that I, I underestimate a lot of things that they're capable of. I sure. Think. So, but I think you gotta be careful. Yeah. So we're going to be talking a lot about the setter today and, and certainly comparing and contrasting where applicable to your labs versus the setter and, and mm-hmm. you know, seeing how different things really were, if at all. But to kind of wrap up the swimming thing, anything anything that you noticed as far as like exposure to water and, and anything, did, did Queen do anything differently uh, with swimming or anything related to that? No, she... Uh... She took to it, you know, no different, I don't think, than the labs. I am a big believer in going in the water. Like, I just go in with them. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I think it's, it should be warm and all that stuff. Um, but, no, she's – I don't – I didn't see any difference. I think I've seen more variation. I, now, obviously, I've seen a lot more Labradors than Setters myself yep. personally. But I didn't – you know, there's variation in all of them. So, I, I just think the one thing that I would – that I really believe in, and everybody's got their own – way of doing it but um i think that it's it's a it's a a notion that should be applied to everything but it's patience like just be patient with it because i i do think we get we get so antsy about stuff and i'm like that too man i wanted to pick this little puppy rain up i wanted to pick her up two three weeks ago carry her in the water and make her swim you know and it's like i could have done that and maybe it would have worked but the ch- there's an, a, a chance that she wouldn't have liked that. And I, you can't go back on that stuff. So I think being patient, they'll let you know. There's this um, saying that I'm really digging into right now that a buddy of mine brought me. It's his idea, and he got it from another trainer over in England. But he, 
take what they'll give you. He keeps telling me, just take what they'll give you, take what she'll give you. Take. Yeah. And so I just think that I repeat these little things in my head oftentimes. Um, and, and take what, take what they'll give you is what I'm kind of using with these two puppies a lot in my mind. And this is, you know, I think that can be, I think that can be, can work in that situation as far as swimming, they're going to go eventually. And if they don't, I'd be surprised, you know, like t- yep. you're going to, what's going to happen is, is you're going to figure out how to unlock that door. And this is what, when you have a lot of dogs over a lot of years, you, you realize you unlock doors in ways that you never thought you would. They yeah. just happen to have, but you, you have to, observe, you have to be open to the observation. So you got to, and then you put it back in your back of your mind and you go, all right, in five years when I have a dog that's kind of having a similar issue, maybe I try that, but um, they'll tell you, you know, let them tell you. Yeah, that's a that's a great great sentiment there. Just because I had the same experience, and I'm I'm sure I've mentioned it before, but I I did the early on with Hartley. I worked on you know I did the whole every all the water intro that you read in in the book. You know, go to a shallow creek with warm water, walk to the other side, make the puppy follow you. We did that, sure. and then I went to I remember we went to a lake and kind of like trying to coax him in the water, not really sure what to do. And then I finally went in the water and he swam out to me and kind of sw- mm-hmm. swam a little lap around me. And I was all excited. And then for the next couple of years, like I really didn't give him a ton of opportunity to actually swim. I mean, he was, he was in and around water, but it wasn't until he was probably two or three and, and we started going to our cabin and he just had a lot of time around yeah. the water that he then became, I mean, a fish, like he, he's in the water all day. He can swim very well. And to your point, it's like, it was just a total non-issue, but I'm sure I was sort of mildly concerned about it at mm-hmm. one point or another. Cause you think you're missing some window of opportunity, but more mm-hmm. often than not, you find that that's there, there aren't these doors that, that close forever. Yeah. But last, last time I was up North, uh, Makina started jumping off the dock, which mm. she, she, she never, you know, she's, she's been swimming for a long time and, and I don't, I, I'm not into dock diving, so I really don't care, but yep. uh, you know, all of a sudden, all of a sudden it was interesting because I'm throwing dummies in a pretty loose, um, you know, loose effort of retrieving with these dogs, just getting them some exercise and having fun and trying to get these puppies kind of engaged to come in. And, and all of a sudden I, I throw one out and Makina's at the end of the dock and she just launched herself. And I thought, <laughs> where did she get the guts to do that? Because she's never done it before. So I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't focused on it, but if that were in the back of my mind of, I really want my dog to jump off the dock, I'd have been sweating it for the last mm-hmm. 12, 12 months because she didn't want to do it. And here I'd be trying to rack my brain. And it, it came, it just came by me not worrying about it and letting yep. her figure that stuff out. And I think that that's a simple example of something that nobody cares of very, you know, bird hunting wise. We don't care about whether or not our setter jumps off the dock or not but we do care about they do this or that or this or that in the bird field. Well, I think that sometimes we have to realize at certain points they're going to do it and it's on their schedule, not necessarily always ours. And that's where I really feel like it takes a special understanding of from a dog training standpoint, from a dog trainer standpoint, it takes an understanding of realizing we don't always have to, and maybe shouldn't always have the control of every single step in this thing. I think that we have to develop with them and as they develop. And that takes, that takes a lot for some people to give up. Like it's a control, that's a control thing. And, Mm -hmm. and, and I'm not saying it can be just, 
you know, let the dog do whatever it wants to, whenever it wants to, that that's an extreme. And then the idea of micromanaging and ultra control, that's an extreme. And neither one of them are where I want to be. I, I always am, you know, looking for this middle ground, try to be in the balance, you know, figure yeah. out balance with it. So, but some, that's a good example of like, okay, next time I'm panicking and worrying and freaking out about getting her to do something in the field, maybe it just takes a little longer, you know, maybe, and all of a sudden, boom, there it is. Well, maybe it had something to do with me, but more than likely, I think it's a combination of having things to do with the dog and you together. Yeah. Yep. It's that symphony kind of thing. Yep. And that's applicable in a lot of, in a lot of areas of life too, that, you know, if you're intensely focusing on something, that's good oh. in certain bursts. But if you, if you hit a wall, sometimes yeah. it's best to shift that focus, go elsewhere. And then, you know, things oh. will, will happen without you really feeling like you did anything. You know, they just sort of sure. seem to happen. The watch pot never boils, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Very simple and, and well said. Well, we're going to talk, we're going to talk more about the setter, but I want to jump in here and have you tell me a little bit about your relationship with the partridge, Jeremy, when did, yeah. uh, when did you guys get involved? You know, how long do you go back? <laughs> well, I never, I've never heard of a grouse until, <laughs> until I moved, until I moved to green Bay. I I'm, I'm from Rhinelander, which is, you know, North, North, I would call it Northern Wisconsin, um, North central, but I never heard anybody call it a grouse until I came down to green Bay and I moved to green Bay when I was in, like fifth grade. So I yeah. pretty much grew up down here and I had buddies and my buddy's dads and, and we would, I would hear them talk about grouse hunting and I was thinking to myself, it's a different species. I, I had no idea what they were talking about, but living up North and being raised up North and like my whole family's from up there. My grandpa was the guy who always talked about partridge and my dad and my uncles and everyone that was always partridge. So I, I know some people talk about like road hunting the, the connection of you know your partridge hunter but right. uh that wasn't what i that wasn't how i understood it. i just understood that, that was what that bird was you know like everybody called and i it's still like that up there i drive down the road and i'll ask anybody if they're seeing birds and they'll ask me partridge and yeah well i know where you're from if you say that you know so yeah it's a it's one of those little little things that it's not that far away from here you know like it's like two hours north but there's a division, a, a line there of division in Wisconsin where it's you're either grouse hunter or a partridge hunter. But I know you're from up north if it's partridge. Yeah, I like the word. I like it actually. I I try to train myself to call them that again, just because I go. I don't want to ever let that go away. You know. Yeah. Yep. I I do. Too. I have a fondness for it too, just because the people that brought me into it that's what they called, you know, my grandpa, my dad, my uncle, yeah. it was, it was partridge. So I have mm -hmm. always had a fondness for calling rough grouse partridge. And, you know, now I, you have some fun with, with the whole grouse hunting, grouse hunter versus partridge hunter, that kind right. of thing. But I don't, I don't mind either ter term if I'm, if I'm, you know, on this podcast, I usually say grouse or, but that's another funny thing. Cause I always say grouse and, you know, I, when I say that, I mean rough grouse when there's obviously lots of different grouse species right, too, but right, yeah, right. it's just one of those fun things. But you, so you got started hunting them when you were, when you were fairly young, was it, did it become a, a thing that you avidly pursued or, you know, what, what were, what are your kind of early recollections of, of partridge hunting? Yeah, it was, um, well, we always saw them bow hunting. So like we sure. weren't, we weren't necessarily trying to hunt them. My dad, I'd be tagging along with my dad bow hunting and we would spot them. You know, we hunted some woods that now looking back on it, I recognize why they were there, but it was um, like managed forest properties that had been 
had been selective cuts and, and they all of a sudden they regenerated. And so it totally makes sense why they were there. But back then I didn't really think twice about it. And I feel like back when I was younger, um, it was more commonplace. I felt like for us to get scared by them walking down trails, like, mm. it, you know, we were, we weren't necessarily looking for them. We weren't necessarily going into covers that you would, um, that the way I would do it today, but we would get, you know, startled on the trail. They'd scare the hell out of you. So yeah. it was, it was always kind of an elusive bird that way. I do recall like one of my first memories with, with one is at my grandpa's and going back on it. This is in the early eighties and I was pretty young and I spent my summers there. Uh, um, it's where my parents live now, but that's where I grew up in the summer. And I remember seeing one and my grandpa, it was, this was 30, 30 some years ago now. And it, there was habitat around there that had been cut. So now it's like, ah, oh, it totally makes sense by these birds. Cause I have no right. idea why they, there won't, you won't see one there now it's over. It's very open and matured. And so, but I, I look at it and there was this grouse and I, I, I followed it and I like, I crawled like a cat kind of behind it. And I remember going through the thick stuff. It, I'll never forget it. And I just, the bird was like almost half tame. It wasn't really afraid of me. And, mm. and I couldn't figure out. And I went in and told my grandpa and I just thought I had discovered something here. And my grandpa's telling me how it's a partridge. And, and it was just, so I'll never forget that. It's like one of my best, you know, it's a great memory, but that was, so that was like my first introduction as far as hunting went probably didn't hunt them more seriously until I could get it until I got a driver's license, you know, like yeah. that was when, and I lived down here then. Um, and so my buddies and I would, we had old, you know, we had old beat up pickup trucks and we'd on half days or maybe even not a half day, we might get out a little early and go up North and bring dogs. And, um, you know, we'd, we'd shoot a few, but it was like, it was something to do. It wasn't like we've, that was our focus. We weren't like passionate grouse hunters. We just, yeah. we wanted to hunt stuff. And so we were more small game hunting and that became kind of the trophy of that. So, and that was, that was, um, you know, like that for a long time. And then I got, I got more serious, I would say about it. Um, it's probably been about seven or eight years now. And it was just because I, I just feel like I grew up a little bit, you know, like I got a little bit older. <laughs> I'm a really big, I'm really big into deer hunting and I needed a little bit of a break maybe mentally from it. And I had, had dogs that I knew would be very, you know, very capable. And I loved the idea of hunting anything with my dogs. I've always loved that. So I thought, you know what, and what really got me grouse hunting more seriously was I went and bought a gun. Like I always kind of wanted, I was kind of wanted a grouse gun. Yeah. And, and it was, I don't know, how long has your podcast been? Uh, 2017. So coming up on six years, basically. So it's probably right. It's not long before it wasn't yeah. long before I started listening to your podcast, but I had this idea of, um, a gun that I wanted and I wanted a grouse gun. And at the time I had never, you know, I, I had never had anything but a pump shotgun. Um, and so for, for bird hunting. And so, I bought a, um, a Satori. I found a Satori used a Upland special, like really, really? little. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, found have, it at I a, have one. <laughs> I, yeah. I found it in a uh, gun shop locally here. Okay. And you know, a guy, you know, Jack, Jack Stefan. Yes. Yeah. So, so I know Jack, I've known Jack for years, used to duck hunt with him. And so he knew more about guns than anyone I knew. So I yeah. would send, I would send him pictures of guns that I, that I was interested in. And I found this little gun 
and it was i don't know in this state or something that they got they picked it up off of and it was yep. they didn't even have it out yet they they it was in the back i saw it and and they didn't have a price on it yet or anything and so i i saw it and i sent a picture to jack and he said well, that's a pretty nice gun and so then price wise and all this we're going back and forth and so i bought it and i brought it home and i was shooting some doves with it and and i sent him a picture of it and he said something about the measurements and it's 24 inch barrels yep. and and so he, I said, no, it's a 24 inch barrel. And he goes, no. And I said, yeah. He goes, then it's like an Upland special or whatever they call it, you know? Yep, and that's right. So I'm like, well, that's what I got. And he's, oh man, that's, that's cool. You know, that's cooler than what I thought. And so <laughs> I bought that gun and it forced me intentionally. I bought it because I knew if I bought it, I was going to go grouse hunting more because I was like, I got the tool for it, man. I, I'm going to go do it. And it, there was something about, the feel of carrying that. So I, I started running like north of my house here. I started running, I'm not far from the UP. So I'd run up there and I started looking into gems, like those gems mm, areas. And, yep. and I, I just didn't understand enough about the bird to, to really um, consistently put myself in front of them. It was always it, prior to that. It was always kind of, I'd see them in some spots that I was, whether I was, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Whether I was going back to fish, fish a lake or deer hunting or something like that. So, but then all of a sudden I, that was where I was like, I'm going to start. If I really want to do this, I got to be better at it. And so that was when I tried to study some more stuff and learn a little bit. And I think grouse hunting for me is, has really opened up my eyes to, to looking at the woods differently, you yeah. know, because I look for different stuff now. And it's shit that I never realized or recognized. And now I look at it and I go, okay, how does that correlate? And it's, what's interesting is how, how much it connects dots to other stuff that I do and had interest for a long time, deer hunting stuff and bear right. hunting stuff and, and things like that. There's a lot of overlap in the understanding of that woods. Definitely. Um, and so me, and then, then you, so that's, that's the beauty of it for me is that it, it's this, I'm learning an awful lot about different stuff that I wouldn't have learned about otherwise. Plus I'm learning an awful lot about my dogs because I have to work them a little differently and I have to, I have to approach things differently with them. I have to prepare them a little bit different. I have to handle them a little different. So all that stuff is like opening up this giant thing in my mind of, man, I got a lot to learn. And then you, you know, you do that long enough, you realize you got to have yourself a pointing dog. And, and if you're going to have a <laughs> grouse dog, you got to get a setter. So like I, I had all these, like I went through this whole thing. I started out with the idea of a pointer. I was thinking pointer for years. That yeah, was yeah. going to be my, my pointing dog. I, I had looked at a few kennels. I talked with several, um, visited a couple, um, just wasn't quite, just wasn't quite committed enough to do it. Uh, and then I started the more I dug into it, then I started to question, is that what I, what I really want? And then I found setters and, and then I was like, oh man, this is, this is what I want. And then I, <laughs> then I dug into that. And then, I, so it's admittedly, I'm, I'm very much in the learning, the learning phase of all of it. Yeah. Gearing up for your next hunt? Check out Ugly Dog Hunting Company for all your dog supply needs. Ugly Dog Hunting carries a full line of products for your bird dog and even some for you. Whether you're looking for dog collars, GPS tracking devices, kennels, beds, leads, training equipment, or first aid supplies, Ugly Dog Hunting carries it and a whole lot more. New owner of the company and friend of the Bird Shop podcast, Mike Nadusky, loves to remind me that while I do hunt with pretty dogs, every dog can be an ugly dog. 
Check out the entire selection of gear for you and your bird dog at UglyDogHunting.com. For many upland hunters, along with their passion for dogs, birds, and the places we chase them, comes a passion for shotguns. Upland Gun Company specializes in customizing shotguns for the upland bird hunter imported from Italy and shipped direct to an FFL near you. Select from one of their side-by-side or over-under shotgun platforms and customize the fit, function, and aesthetics to your liking. Design and build your next upland hunting shotgun with Upland Gun Company today. Visit uplandguncompany.com. Oh, I love that, man. It's almost uncanny, a Satori Upland special, and then you end up with a Northwoods setter. We got right? more in common than I even realized. <laughs> so you, when, when did you get yours? You're up, you're, you're gone. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's similar. Like it was, it was, I grew up, you know, grouse hunting and I kind of, at some point I re- this was in my mid twenties, probably, you know, I was working and, and had a little bit more money and I was like, Oh, I need a, I want a double gun. You know, I want a yep. similar, similar to you. Like I wanted a, a gun that like I identified more as a bird hunting gun an upland hunting mm-hmm. gun. And for me, I always knew about the, I liked Brownings. I had a Browning BPS when I was younger and they had a BPS upland special, which had a straight English grip and it was just their pump shotgun. And then you had the Satori upland special, which I had kind of identified as what I wanted as my first grouse gun. And mm-hmm. at the time I didn't, I mean, maybe looked on gun broker a little bit, but I didn't look around or go to shows or anything. Well, I went to this gun show in the twin cities with my buddy and I had it in my mind that I was hopefully going to find a Satori upland special there. And I walked around the entire show and like, didn't see anything. And it was literally the last table as we were walking out, I, I eye this thing up and there's a Satori upland special. And this old guy was, he was selling it for a friend. He said on consignment and I sat there and looked, it was kind of like, I didn't know anything about inspecting a gun or knowing like whether or not you should or should buy it, you know, but I just, I bought it sight unseen and, and that was my first, first double gun. And obviously I've, uh, I've gone, you know, on the downward spiral from there. (laughs) I've got lots of other ones, but I still have the Satori and I, I shot that thing pretty well. Um, it's a, it's a really neat, neat little gun. So. Yeah, I love it. I I don't hunt with it. I haven't hunted with it for a couple of years. Um, I keep it at my, keep it at my cabin. It stays in my, I got this old gun rack that my dad built in high school that we, I, I, I keep it right there. It's like almost like for looks more than anything right now, but like I'll have friends that'll use it. Um, I can't sell it. I just, they'll never sell it. I can't sell guns and it means too much to me now. Like it's a part of my family, right? So I'll give it, you know, I'll give it to someone. I'm going to give it, I've got a nephew that is a real aspiring hunter and I've got my son and like, that's who it'll stay in our I hope it just stays in our family and yeah. forever, but I'll give it to somebody. And, um, but I did like it. I, I loved it and, and it did, it did exactly what it needed to do. It got me really committed to dig in a little bit deeper. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, and I, so I kind of owe, I kind of owe a little bit to that gun probably. Do you ever have issues with the, the safety kind of getting caught in the middle of that selector and not coming off? It's I've heard it's kind of a common. No. I, it's maybe happened to me once or twice, but I haven't used it much anymore. No, I I haven't, and I probably I don't shoot it an awful lot. You know, I, I mean, yeah. I've, I've shot several boxes through it since I got it, but that's in seven eight years now. Yeah. Um, I've I've it's been pretty flawless for me, and it's in really good condition. I don't know. I'm guessing it's from like. Gotta be from the eighties, I would guess. And yeah, I think mine is too. I think I looked up the serial number at one point. So, um, but it's it's a it's a cool it's a cool little gun, and and uh, and that's that's another reason I love 
partridge or grouse or whatever you want to call them. But uh, it, that the idea of, of this hunting, this type of hunting, isn't just about that this bird for me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a lot. And I think that's a very common thing for a lot of folks. There's yeah. the, the guns become a very important part of this. And, yep. and not to say that it has to be like fancy either. You know, like these, I, I don't consider, these guns are a lot fancier than what I was used to. Like it was a huge step up for me um, from an investment standpoint, but I don't, I don't think you have to, I, I've, you know, there's some, there's some stuff that isn't, isn't that expensive either that, you know, I think fits, you know, it, it, it fits the, the feel of it. Yeah. What, whether it's a vintage side-by-side, a Satori Upland special, a Winchester model 12, you, yep. you're absolutely right. I, and I don't, I wonder about this cause it's, it is very common. It, it won't come as a surprise to most people listening to this, but you know, is it the sort of the lack of the trophy aspect of upland hunting where, you know, a grouse is a grouse for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's a, it's human nature. Like we sort of build things up in our mind and we figure out ways to kind of like rank something versus another thing. But you know, the dog is a, is a component. The bird is a component. The gun is a component. There's so many of these things that we kind of like, we sort of build up each of these components and it's all about sort of like the entire experience yeah. when it comes to grow. And I mean, that's, you can do it however you want to do it, but I, I love very, that stuff. Very much so. And I, I actually feel like there's such there's such simple steps of of measurement for me of of and it's and it's rewarding. Like there was a big step that first year that I wanted to do it and bought that gun. I mean, I found I I found a limit. I don't I didn't shoot one. I found probably I don't know if I found ten birds that year, and I went yeah. quite a few times. Not a, not as much as I do now, but like I went enough to to have I should have found more than that, but. All of a sudden, the second year, it, it stuck with me enough. Then the second year, I started to find more, and I started to realize why I'm finding more. It wasn't an accident. It was because yeah. I, I was learning more and, and putting myself in better spots. And then, and then all of a sudden, it became like really, really satisfying and rewarding to recognize I can go out and find one each time. Like just, just to find one. Yeah. You know, it might be just hear it, but I knew I was there. You know, so like that became that became a sense of satisfaction. And I, I, I have to, I have to remind myself too. now a few years, a few more years down the road with it. Don't lose that. You know, like there's going to be a point where I have to tell myself, don't, you know, I've, I have, I'm guilty of like a day where we get back and, you know, I like to spend October at my cabin if possible. And, and, and that is like, I really look forward to that, but there's days where we get up, we come back a group of guys and we're going to eat and whatever. And we're talking about the, uh, we only saw, you know, between the group, we only moved 30 birds and I'm going mm-hmm. Are you kidding me. Like <laughs> stop right now because here there's so many things that you, that are going on right now that you just said, we only did this and you're kind of disappointed. No, man, you got to So I have to remind myself and I think I will have to remind myself of, you know, enjoy these subtle parts and yeah. don't lose, don't lose don't, don't lose the the sight of that, but yeah, I, it's, it's, it's so common. And I think usually when you have those moments, they are, they're very short sighted moments, right? You're just, you're caught up in yeah. the moment, whatever you're, you know, we had a tough day in the woods, you know, and yesterday we flushed this many and you know, it, it's, it's human nature, but as long as you can at some point 
step back, take a breath and look at the bigger, like, Hey, we were out yeah. grouse hunting today, man. Like, right. I mean, that's, you know, we all, we all go through that. So totally. And I think part of it too, is the company you keep. Like, I think yeah. you gotta, you have to be careful. I have to be, I, and I, I, I'm a big per- people person. I really enjoy people and what they bring and, and the, the differences in people, but you got to remember too, like one of the things that I've, I've made a, a point of is trying to, I really try to, I like kids. I got kids and some of my kids are older now. My son's 21 and my youngest one's four. So we got kind of a variation there, but I, I feel like a kid is a good way to bring yourself back down to go, man, if you bring a kid out, that's never done this before, just seeing them shake after they get scared by a bird that flushed mm-hmm. or get the, see the excitement in them when a dog gets a little bit birdie or you know, now with the setter goes on point and like all of this stuff, just sometimes I need to see that too, as a reminder of, yeah, man, that's why we do it. You yeah. know? And, and, and so I, and the more, and the more deeper I get into it, the more people I find that are deep, way deep into it. And I, I gotta like learn as much as I can from that, but also recognize that's where I see a lot of that. Well, we only did this. We only, ah, no, no, no stay grounded that way, you know? Yeah. So I, I think it's just a personal thing. It's a struggle of mine personally that I got to continue to, to work through. Yeah, that's cool. Well, like your Satori Upland special, mine is, mine's at the cabin as well. It's kind of on, on, uh, it's my dad's gun. Now he retired last year, so he had a little more time to spend in the woods and sure. I kind of, I left it down there and it's actually, mine has a real short length of pole. Somebody chopped it off and there's a, rubber pad and then i have a slip-on rubber pad to bring it out to like an adult size so sure, i yeah. have i've got visions in in the future that that my boys will maybe be shooting that gun as well for so sure that's really very cool, cool. Yep. well let's let's slide into talking english setters a bit we've we've danced around it here on part one of our conversation a little bit today already but then you kind of hit on sort of how you end up but what was it about the setters that you know you had a you had an idea in your mind of a pointer what kind of tipped you over and said, you know what, I'm getting a first pointing dog. I'm going to get an English setter. Um, I, I think the one word that I think is important with them is warmth. I just feel like they're a warm dog and I, I like warm dogs. Um, when I say that, I mean like they give, they give you their eyes. They, they're with you. Um, they're, they remind me, they remind me a lot of my labs, you know, like, and, and when it comes to labs, I've got this style of dog that I have, that I really like. And, and it's something that I've for years and years and years pursued, um, tried to narrow down to figure out exactly. I think that's a, that's a real important thing for, for people. Um, especially when you get serious about dogs, a dog's a dog, but they are very, you know, you, it depends how deep you want to get into them. And for me, I've, I've taken 20 some years to figure out the type of lab that I like. And now that's what we breed and we do it really intentionally. And so when I got into, and, and that's, that's true in all breeds. Like there's, there's some labs that their personalities are not what I'm after and their, their style is not what I'm after. There's some, there are setters that are not what I'm after. I've seen now I've, now I've like really gotten interested in this sure. world and dug in and, and some of the field trial stuff has been super fascinating to me, cover dog stuff. And, and so I've seen some that are not what I like or not, not what I would want personally. And then I see some that are like, Oh, that's, 
That's, and I've been influenced by people to prefer certain types. Um, and that certainly doesn't mean that other types aren't, aren't good. It's just you develop personal preferences. And one of the things that I have found about setters as a rule, I just feel like they're a real warm dog and they're real giving, I think is the word. And I like that. That's what I like in my lab. So when I train these dogs and work with these dogs, there, there is a level that I need uh, a feeling that I need of, of cooperation. And, and I found that with the setter and I think a lot of it came from their eyes. Like I got good, I get, I get such good eyes from them, um, from some of them, you know, and then, and I, and the pointers, the pointers are, the pointers are cool. I, I think they're, I really like them too. Don't get me wrong. But if I have to pick one, which I had to pick one, um, that's what I picked someday. What Jerry Coulter told me, you want to be when we through this whole process of, of Makina, this, my setter, I've spent, I've tried to spend as much time as I can. I'm going to go see Jerry this week, later this oh, week cool. and, and, uh, and spend a day with him. But we've done that several times and I pick up an awful lot that way. And, and there's other people that I've spent some time with too. And I gained so much from that, but, we've had some conversations and he's, he laughs, I think at some of the stuff I say, because, you know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm experiencing some of this stuff for the first time and he's had 40 years of it. So he probably, it probably is like me with that kid that grouse hunts for the first time. You know, it's like, wow, he he kind of enjoys these subtle things that maybe I, I've, (laughs) you know, I haven't maybe paid attention to for a long time, but some of the things that I tell him, you know, he'll, I, I think, especially with his dogs, like they're, they're, they're built and they fit really well with, with my approach to training. Um, and I think some people were surprised at that going, you know, as this has happened and it's it's still in the middle. So like, I I gotta be careful too, because we're not, we're not through the woods here with this dog. She's, she's a very nice dog and she's, I credit that to her, like not to my training necessarily to she's built really well. She's got all the components, but what I think is, is aligning is how I, how I work with her works with how she's built. And, you know, there was a point where I think folks that I talk with in the dog world, I don't know that they believed that would happen. I think they thought you're going to be in for some, some pretty rude awakenings of, you know, you can't do that with that dog. You can't do that with that type of dog. You can't do that with that breed of dog. And I, I just don't think that that's true. Like I've trained her very, I've, my training with her, ha, the approach philosophy wise hasn't been a whole lot different. And, yeah. but there are differences and I, and I, it's so good for me as a trainer because the differences that I'm seeing and having to adapt to um, are only going to make me better with labs. <laughs> like they're only yep. going to make me better with this next setter. And there will be, I mean, there's, there's going to be more setters. I, I, I just love them. I really, really happy with her. I love hearing that. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm like nodding my head a bunch of your listeners won't see that, but, and the way you describe setters is certainly the way I would describe mine. And obviously my experience is limited only to setters. So take that with a grain of salt. And my setters just so happen to be from the same place as, as your setter, sure. Jerry Coulter. Yep. So, so there's uh, a lot of that going on, which again, you know, I've talked about my dogs at length on this podcast over the years, but 
I would, I would certainly agree. And it's just interesting to, to hear that's what you found as well. Cause it, it's definitely kind of how I would describe my dog. How did you, how did you land on Jerry Coulter and end up with one of his dogs? Well, I had heard, you know, it didn't take long. You don't have to dig in very far uh, to grouse dogs to come across his name. And you, I just, yep. I actually just wrote an article for gun dog. Uh, I'm doing this column this year on trainers, people that have interested me, um, people that I've worked with and spent time with and um, sharing story. Uh, the idea of the column is to share this, share the specific story of the time I spent with them. Because I think that I don't want to, I didn't want to write them as bios. Like I, I think bios get pretty boring. Um, they make people feel good. They fluff up stuff. I, that wasn't my intention with this column. The idea was share the experience that you had with the person. And hopefully that tells a lot about the person. That was my idea with it. So with, I just, just turned it into Callie that you're late, uh, cool. this, this, this week. <laughs> um, she's, she is the best because she, she tolerates my, my personality of tardiness at times. But so <laughs> I just sent it to her and, and that'll be, I don't, that'll probably be like November. I think that'd be the fall, the fall issue yeah. or, yep. well, I don't know where they're at, but yeah, anyways, September, I think I just got this week. Um, and then I, I did, I did, I did a column on Jerry Havel as well. So his, his will be next. So okay. that'll be like October, I think. And then November would be, would be Jerry Coulter. But, um, the, I, so the idea of Jerry came because you, I, I wrote in there about Jerry, this thing called Jerry dogs. You hear them, you hear people talk about Jerry dogs and that, and it comes up very quickly. Well, his yeah. dogs are very, you can pick them out. You can pick them out in a crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, and that's intentional. You know, that didn't, that happened. That took a lot to get for him to get, he and Betsy to get where they are at. So, yeah. and, and so that, that was easy to come across, but then, um, you know, it took me, I visited a few other, I, I talked with and messaged and visited a few others. Um, and what really did sell me on Jerry's dogs was Jerry and Betsy. Like I, I loved their dogs. I loved going in and walking through their kennel and seeing just that. I saw this warmth. I saw this warmth in their eyes. They'd come to the kennel and they'd, they, you know, they'd kennel run and they'd look at me mm-hmm. all they wanted. And they, you could just see it in their eyes. Hey, give me a pet, you know, not they're quiet. They're, they're I just, so, so that was what really pushed me over. But, um, I had a, my, I have a really good, a very good friend that we've trained labs with and, and done stuff with for years and years and years. And he bought a place. Um, he bought a place for grouse hunting primarily he bought a cabin and some land on a lake. And, and we were talking about dogs. He's going to get a setter too. And I have another buddy that's going to, that was going to get a setter. This was three, three years ago now, three, four years ago. And actually probably five years ago. So we're, we're talking about getting these dogs and he bought this land and he went up there and he's working on his cabin and he met the neighbor. The neighbor's a huge grouse hunter, like maintains all these trails and all this stuff. Like it's very much grouse, grouse territory. And he texted me and we had talked about Jerry Coulter and we had talked about Northwoods bird dogs, me and my two buddies. And our idea was well, let's all get puppies out of the same litter. This is going to be great. We all got labs out of the same litter. We've, uh, they've got puppies that I've bred. Like we've been doing labs for 15, 20 years together. Let's get these setters together. So we were going to do that. And we had, we all three went over and visited Jerry and Betsy. And that was kind of what sealed the deal for us. But then within a week or two of that, my buddy 
calls me up and he says, Hey, you're never going to believe this. I was, or it was actually that, yeah, it was, it was that fall. He said, I was just at my neighbor's place and they have 11 Northwoods bird dogs in the cabin <laughs> sleeping just quiet as can be. They're the most beautiful bird dogs ever. And he goes, they're all Northwoods dogs. And I'm like, shut up. And he goes, I'm telling you, my neighbor's been buying these dogs for a long time and all the guys that hunt there have them. Jerry comes here and hunts there occasionally. So yeah. it's, well, it's Chris Bai's place. Yeah. So he happens to be neighbors with Chris. <laughs> so I'm this like, man, what a, what a small world, you know? So that's crazy. it just, so that's how I, that's how I landed on, on, on Jerry and then got, and then I, it didn't work out to get puppies with my buddies. They got litter mates. Um, and then I ended up about, I was probably six, eight months later that I got Makina. And it was the best thing that could have happened for me because I got to live vicariously through those two guys with these sure. setters for the first eight months before I had to tackle mine. And um, I learned an, I learned so much just watching what they were doing and kind of paying attention to some of the stuff that their dogs were, were doing well and, and struggling with. And so it's just been a big, um, it's been a great journey for me. Um, and it's hard to believe, you know, really hasn't been that long. It feels like it's been an all, a, a lot longer. So, yeah. But yeah, so the, the, that's what, that's what I liked about them. Yeah. I love it. I love hearing that. It's, it, it's funny. I mean, it is a small world and y yeah, I, I obviously, as I always say, stumbled into Northwoods bird dogs and Jerry and Betsy and, and it doesn't take long to start, you know, meeting and interacting with people that, know that name, know that kennel, know the dogs. And yeah. you make, and I, you know, I met Chris by through a random connection and same deal. It's just like, there's a, there's, there's kind of a little community there, which is, which is neat, but. Um, Very much. It's a culture. They've, they've done a tremendous job of building a culture and they have very, very passionate, like following of that. Yeah. And it's a small, it's a small world, but boy, I tell you what, you, You'll be surprised how t often you bump into it, which tells me right. oh, maybe hell it ain't that maybe it's not that small. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Birdshot Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. And if you really love the show and want to contribute above and beyond what you already do by listening, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash birdshot. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Birdshot Podcast. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.